Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, my guest today is Thomas Colster. Thomas is an author, a consultant, an ad guy, force behind good advertising, um, kind of visionary in the world of uh, purpose. So, um, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank, thank you so much, Ed, and uh, a, a lot, a lot of titles there. Uh, <laughs> Any. Anything you prefer to be, or is is it is it is it multi multifaceted? Is it just because ah. you're, you're up to a lot of stuff? It's hard to put you in a single box. Uh, exactly, I, you know. I I think that's probably a good thing. You know, isn't isn't that the thing about creativity? It can be applied in so many different yeah. uh, different ways. And uh, I I sometimes even have a hard time choosing what title to put on uh, those uh, good old business cards or on your LinkedIn profile. And I can't even remember what's there right now. So right. exactly, <laughs> shows the challenge. You, you need multiple cards for sure. Um, so let's start off by why don't you take us through um, a little bit of your journey, how you got to where you are today and sort of the, the critical moments along that journey that, that forced you to make decisions about what you were going to do. Yeah, I mean, my, my, when life were more, was much more simple, I could actually add a really simple title and that would just read copywriter. Mm -hmm. And so, so, uh, so that's how I, I, I started in the industry because I, I really, I really loved writing and, and I really liked the ideation process behind uh, this uh, weird profession of uh, behind advertising, obviously. But I think about a decade into my career and I had sort of advanced, I created my own uh, independent agency and, and I was 30 at the time and we were hosting the Climate Summit in Copenhagen. Uh, so obviously we had all these elected government leaders, Barack Obama, Tony Blair, all these hot big big shots uh angel Merkel when, when she was still around and i think i had as a young you know aspiring advertising creator back then really high hope to our elected government leaders to actually come up with a solution and obviously they didn't and i that i think was the first thing that sort of provoked me to obviously ask the question you know with the capabilities with the knowledge that i have uh working inside the walls of uh of, of this madman industry, uh, what, what is it that I could do? How, how can I sort of um, help do my part? And, and that the first sort of thing that I did was write a book called Good Advertising. And that was my first beginning. I, you know, probably wasn't the most uh, <laughs> inventive thing if you're a copywriter and you write a book, but, but that was the sort of beginning. Uh, that, was, uh, that was my first little venture into this uh, world of purpose. How 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 uh, hard was it to write a book? I mean, and how how challenging was it? You know what? I think in some aspects it was it was actually pretty tough. I'll just yeah. say it again. So we in some aspects this was tough in the sense that uh, first of all, I didn't actually know that much about the topic. And I remember when I pitched this idea to quite a highly acclaimed uh, executive creative director friend of mine, he was just like, so Thomas, what makes you capable of writing a book like that? And I thought to myself, what a, you know, and, and I think without too much reflection, I just said like, because I'm doing it. And so, so sort of having to write a book that was sort of, the one side of the book was very much sort of my point of views and my own reflections on my career in advertising. And the other part of the book was really to showcase brands, um, nonprofits working in this space and making great campaigns that stood out for the impact they made and for the creativity. And I think I spent a good side of a year and a half uh, doing that book and obviously assisted uh, by the research team and my publisher, James and Hudson. But, but um, it, 
you know, at the end of the day, I think after after that process, you know, it was it was backbreaking, but it was also really, really rewarding. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a journey you almost had to go through to kind of educate yourself, you know, and help you get some clarity on on the issues and understand, get deeper understanding yourself. Right. I mean, it was a big a big part of the journey, it seems. Yeah, and at the time there wasn't actually a lot of literature you could look to uh, for help, and I mean there wasn't even that many campaigns out there at the, at the time. And and uh, you know obviously Unilever had just sort of around that time launched the Sustainable Living Plan. Uh, you know, um, Jim Stengel had just written his book Grow, uh, but but it. And especially if you look at it from the creative side, there wasn't anything. I mean, and, and, and for me, obviously, being a creative, that was sort of the worldview that I wanted to portray was this combination of creativity and doing good and, and how pivotal it is, uh, obviously, to apply creativity to this field. So what did you find the reaction to the book? How, how did the, what was the reaction? How did you find it? From the um, end, <laughs> overwhelming? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people really paid that much attention to it, to be honest. Uh, Ahead of its time, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I think, I think Elisa from Creative Review was one of the first ones to sort of pick it up and give it a review. I can't even remember what she wrote about it back then, but, but it didn't really create a lot of stir. And obviously, I don't know if I was disappointed because I didn't really know what I should be expecting. So. I think I thought, hey, wait a moment, I'm actually happy. And, and what sort of, you know, what that book did was it opened up a lot of conversations with a lot of people who felt the same way as I did. And, and that sort of was an open door in the sense that suddenly I had some peers around me. And so the last decade or so, I've obviously been working in that uh, space and uh, have, have seen sort of the the change and obviously also experienced um, the the gradual uh, embrace by brands and obviously by the advertising community as a whole, you know, Can Lions and now obviously uh, celebrates this sort of creativity. They have the Sustainable Development Goal Alliance, they have the Alliance for Good, uh, DNAD obviously has uh, the Impact Awards that started out with the white pencil. Uh, so it's, it's great to see that our industries waking up to this call. I mean, I, I just recently joined the IAA, the International Advertising Association Sustainability Council. So, you know, progress is being made. Is it happening fast enough? Uh, I don't think so. But but uh, but it's great to see that that this is um, this is a movement that uh, we cannot ignore anymore. So so when you think about just in the simplistic terms, um, just breaking it down for people, you, you've got people with creative talent. And when you think about them as being a force for good, how do you, how do you define that uh, in simple terms? I mean, obviously, I, I know what you're talking about, but you may have a specific definition. Um, we, have, we have some immense power as communicators, right? To get messages across and, uh, how do you how do you think about it in your head of of that that the the skill and the craft and the the ability to communicate? It seems it seems essential, right? Yeah, back back then, obviously, since then my thinking has evolved. But back then, it was it was very much just about you know opening opening sort of people's eyes towards how you could, for example, look at social issues uh and maybe a, you know maybe portraying a world where you know that space is not just dominated by white men uh but, you know back then that was that that was that was not even a conversation that was happening so much uh or for that sake how could you maybe think about uh the environmental impact uh how, how could you do that uh so a lot of these issues uh, weren't really talk of town, and I think today that has been normalized. Uh, and and obviously seeing how fast 
that is changing. I mean, now we're not just talking about LBTQ movements, but LBTQ plus. We, you know, the day we we saw, uh, you know, um, you know, today it's become much more uh, normally even for magazines to uh, to uh, feature uh, the, the the beautiful aspects of what of, of what it is to be human, and and so. Uh, in in the in the broader scope of things, I do think that we as an industry has an immense uh, influence over people's lives, and uh, changing this crazy, crazy uh, consumption drive that we are obviously witnessing and have been witnessing the last fifty years or so. Um, and I think since we're in that intersection, and since we're in many aspects are definitely to blame uh, for what we're seeing today. I also do think that we can be part of that solution, and uh, and 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 especially when we talk about, for example, things like the climate emergency. I mean, we do have the technologies right now, uh, but what we need is is really like a truly global uh, mind and behavior shift. Uh, and I think this is one uh, key area where our industry could uh, could be a, a force for good, and 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 move from being part of the problems to part of the solution. Yeah, so this because there's sort of a number of components of that, right? There's the the actual work we produce, and there's how we work. So there's two sides to it. There's how you organize your company. It's almost it's almost uh, um, a contradiction if you're doing advertising around sustainable or diversity issues, and you yourself, as a company, aren't sustainable or diverse. So there's sort of two sides to it, right? One is how you organize your company. I'm seeing, I mean, I noticed and I have talked to Havas, who recently became a B Corporation. Um, but it, the, there, is an, there is a recognition that there needs to be a, a, um, a uh, balance. You know, you need to be, it needs to be holistic, this thinking about what you're doing and how you behave as a company. Um, and increasingly, I've heard that clients, I know a few years ago, the Eurostar pitch, uh, they asked agencies to submit their sustainability, their own agency sustainability pro, um, profiles, and it was part of the pitch evaluation. Uh, and I know this diversity issues as well are coming into pitch consideration. So it's almost the client's expectation is that the agency not only does great work, but also um, lives, walks the walk as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's uh, definitely uh more one of the more recent conversations but i th really think that it it it's also what fundamentally has changed because in advertising we just used to deal with the tip of the iceberg which was sort of the advertising out there and we didn't really have to care too much about everything anything else and today obviously we need to be much more critical uh towards if we want to advise our clients towards uh what's 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 really underneath uh you know, uh, uh, underneath that water level, and and that demands, uh, you know, knowledge. You know, you need to be asking the right questions because, as you say, else we will see, as we witness many times, campaigns that are being accused of greenwashing or purpose washing or whatnot, and and so that's the one thing. And the second thing is really, you know, how do we as consultants, agencies, how do we operate? And, uh, and how do we make sure that we have a diverse uh, working culture? And I think the great benefit of that is in fact that, you know, more diverse cultures uh, are more creative. And so it should be, <laughs> should be a really easy win for an advertising agency to embrace uh, diversity. Um, and uh, and especially when we talk about some of those global networks uh, that operate across so so many countries, um, that is uh, that is an opportunity, right? And a missed opportunity if we don't do anything about it. Yeah. So you know that 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 totally makes sense. I th I think um, it also seems to me that you've got. We've got pressures, right? The companies have 
yeah, some of them, some of them are doing it out of their own drive, but a lot of them are being pressured to do it, pressured either by by their stakeholders, so by, by their consumers, or by regulatory um, processes, you know, ESG standards. So there's sort of um, there's a big compliance drive uh, that is for, are forcing companies to change. So there's almost like it's not a voluntary thing anymore. Um, it's almost like you, you you have to do it. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's multiple. I mean, there's multiple battles uh, at the moment, which obviously makes it extremely difficult for these companies to navigate this pressure. I mean, there's you know the pressure from ordinary people like you and I that uh, obviously are starting to look for um, different. Uh, products uh, that uh, are more sustainable, whatever that means. Uh, in certain categories, we've, we've seen that change happening uh, fast. I mean, if you look to the plant-based milks, I mean, who would have thought the milk category would have been challenged so much? I mean, many places you can't in London or Copenhagen, many cafes today uh, won't uh, serve your cow milk. So that's at least one example where sort of the traditional um, dimensions of you know quality, price, and convenience uh, suddenly see a fourth dimension uh, around sustainability. It's not as um, apparent in across all categories, but there's no doubt about it. Different purchasing decisions that that are uh, that that looks at sustainability and and yes, the the stock markets, the financial institutions are now uh, having a hard look at this. Uh, and I mean, in the US, the conversation is still very much around the ESG, so uh, environmental, social or governance factors, whereas in Europe, and especially Northern Europe, the conversation is a little bit more advanced around the sustainable development goals and, and, and the 17 principles. Yeah. Um, so you weigh companies and that. Um, and then internally within the companies, we shouldn't forget that this there's a real war of talent that has only been um, accelerated uh, by the by the current pandemic and that race for talent is obviously one that companies want to win by putting on that purpose mantle and saying hey look at us we're good corporate citizens we're a nice place to work all that stuff uh, the challenge is though if we are if we buy that uh, if we really actually do believe uh, this uh, corporate sell because by the end of the day I mean I don't think we move that uh, far in the sense that we used to be selling the greatest products in the world and suddenly we're selling how great the companies are for the world. And I think we need to change that perspective. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, there's been an interest, it's been an interesting, you know, few months in far, as far as purpose is concerned. Um, we've heard some voices in the US um, calling purpose woke capitalism. Uh, we've seen um, investors critiquing Unilever for having a mayonnaise with a purpose. And then on this other side, we've seen um, Larry Fink, you know, just say demanding more as one of the biggest investment companies in the world in BlackRock. So you've got this interesting, you know, in, in interesting conversations that, that are going on right now. And um, I thought it was very um it was very interesting to hear that the chairman of Unilever hit back and say that the brands that were being um, uh, targeted as as being sort of a irrelevant irrelevant purpose based were actually delivering significant returns. Um, and uh, you know, it, the fact is that the reality, and I think this is what people are having a problem reconciling, is that companies need to grow. And I don't think people can get their heads around how they can grow sustainably. It seems like the sort of a, a binary approach. You're either growing and that is having an environmental impact or you're not growing or you're degrowing and that is having a more sustainable impact. So it, it's just very hard, I think, for people to get their heads around this idea that you could be a growing company and actually be good for the planet. Uh, yeah. and and. But but I think also that it it looks at what we do as you know as an industry in a, in, a, in a too simple uh, perspective in the sense that we also build brands uh, we also make sure that people have a choice in the marketplace 
Uh, and one of those choices could be a more sustainable uh, choice, a more conscious choice, a healthier choice. So I do think in that sense, uh, we have a key role in driving those new behaviors, in changing, um, uh, in changing behaviors and mindsets and changing what is high status and what is low status. And so um, I very much look at how do we actually build meaningful brands going forward? I mean, how do we build brands that, uh, that people love, that people, uh, that people want to pay for, experiences they want to pay for? Um, and, you know, ultimately you can say if, if you can pivot people from brands that are less good for the planet to brands that are better for the planet, uh, that, you know, idealistically should be a win. Uh, should we think about the growth rhetoric? I definitely think we should. Uh, um, and, uh, and, I, and I think we see this pressure because especially young people today, I mean, they aren't buying all this purpose rhetoric because by the end of the day, the only thing they have experienced in their lifetime is, uh, you know, companies to be blamed for, you know, cutting down the rainforest for social inequality. That's all they seemed in their lifetime. And all they hear from those same companies is, hey, look at us, we're so good. So I think there's a really big divide between what the companies are saying and trying to get people to believe and what especially young people today are seeing um, uh, with their own eyes. Yeah, early, earlier, I think, yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that's definitely true. And that, that what it takes us into is where what we're talking about as a, as a communication industry is something that's a lot more complicated than it used to be. You know, yeah. it used to be you got a beer and it happened to come from a certain part of Denmark or a certain part of the United States, or it was made in a certain way. There were about three or four things that you could use, right? And they say there are only seven stories in the world, but it used to be pretty simple. It was like, find the most motivating truth, either it's a consumer truth or it's a brand truth or a cultural truth, and then go focus fully on that. And now you've got this very complicated world where you could distill it down to a simple truth, but you want to make sure that's accurate. And then people want to know more, you know? So yeah, there's the headline and there's the arresting, how do you get people's attention? But then I think Oatly's a great brand, but I really want to know what they're doing now. Because I'm, yeah. if, I'm if I'm a cynical, skeptical 19 year old, um, I want to know more about my oat milk and where it comes from and how it's made. So I, I wonder if we need, it, it, does this require a different skill set? You know, uh, this is sort of, from the strategists, from other people working on it, it seems to be like a, a more of a skill set or a mindset around diligence, around asking the right questions um, that that may not have happened before. And and so it's it's um, it's a big issue, I think, uh, both on client side and the agency side. Uh, I quite often think that it's probably a bigger problem on agency side than it is on client side because traditionally. Uh, creatives and strategies aren't necessarily brought up uh, with that knowledge uh, and that deep understanding on some of those challenges. Whereas, at least on client side, you do have uh, <laughs> you do have someone you can call in working in sustainability or you know um, or, or whatever they want to call that department. Or hopefully, it's integrated fully into the company. Uh, so I think that is a challenge. But even if you look at uh, the WA, the World Federation of Advertisers, actually did a, a piece of survey last year. And, and that was depressing news because they said that if you look at departments across a company, then marketing is the one that's lacking most behind in its understanding of sustainability. So I think we're really at a time as an industry where we need to wake up and take this seriously. Uh, because we are jeopardizing the companies we're working for and we're jeopardizing the trust uh, that people have in us. And in some instances, we're even jeopardizing um, uh, our license to operate. I mean, uh, we, we now see in the UK with, um, uh, you know, um, uh, talks about uh, greenwashing and advertising and what should be uh, right and not right. And uh, in some markets we see, uh, you know, certain types of products uh, being talked about being banned uh, such as meat flights etc 
things that you know we would typically think of when we thought of alcohol or cigarettes, and even those battles uh, took a long time to win. So um, it's 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 an urgent call, and and I think for those who are listening today, I think it's also about just being curious. I mean, in fact, you can learn a lot from downloading a company's uh, sustainability report. Uh, you can earn a lot from asking different questions in the meetings and, and you don't have to frame them from a personal point of view. You can, can frame them from a sort of, you know, would the target group necessarily be buying this or that view or wouldn't the target group be a little bit more curious about your diversity agenda? You can frame it that way and, and, uh, and, and probably the client will listen even more to it. Yeah. What, when you when you look out there in in the world, um, are the companies brands that you like to use as examples of people who have sort of set a benchmark, moved a bit further ahead, or because or, I know this is a this is an industry that all, I mean, marketing is a business that always looks for examples. It's kind of why we have award shows, right? Uh, you know, we're looking for those beacons of hope. Um, we're looking for benchmarks that were standards that we can judge ourselves by. Um, who do, who do you see out there as being good, uh, examples, uh, lighthouses for people to look at and say, okay, those are doing some, they're doing some interesting work. They may, they may not be perfect. I think that's the one thing around, uh, about, about this, uh, about this world is, um, you know, we, we've come from a sort of a thinking about perfection, right? It's got to be perfect. It's got to be exactly right. This product has to be made. And then when you're talking about sustainability, it just, it, it's a journey, right? You're talking about a, a journey versus a thing. And a journey is a journey with, with stages and, um, you know, you move towards getting better, which is why, for example, I, I really like... Um, I mean, oh, sorry, Patagonia is such an obvious example, and it seems to be like the only one. But the fact that they call out their rain jackets are actually an environmental catastrophe, you know, yeah. um, and they're doing something about it makes them look better than 99.9% .9 of the other companies who make the same products, who are basically assuming silence and ignorance is the way to go. They know for well that these products are harmful. Uh, they don't intend to do anything about it. So, um, yeah. Any who do you look to? Who do you look out there and uh, and see um, as as interesting examples? I mean, I I, I like I I look at I think IKEA is an interesting. Uh, they have sort of a massive problem in that they you know they're making sort of disposable furniture. Um, it sort of seems from the onset being like a huge issue, and you know some of the uh programs and the attempts that they're doing to try and uh be more about reuse recycling upcycling seems to be smart yeah they're not solving and changing but fundamentally changing their business but they're thinking about areas so yeah not perfection but a nice step in the right direction um yeah, I, you know you're, you're right i mean you know i i care to a company that has uh um, with its commitment, obviously, to get a billion people on this planet to live more sustainably, and, and they're trying to put their uh, creativity behind it and launching, you know, innovations or services. Even the thing that today you can, in fact, with IKEA's blessing, um, choose a different carpet front. So if they're a design you like more than others, you can go ahead and do that. So they're inviting people to co-create on this journey towards um, sustainability. Uh, so that's obviously a, a very good example of that. I think for me, I've changed a lot my beliefs in, 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 uh, from when I was 30 and wrote the first book. And in many aspects, I've lost my belief in, it, in, in the current way that we do purpose, uh, which, which sort of forced me uh, to write a second book called The Hero Trap because I suddenly felt that we had a quite unsustainable uh, time in history in the sense that every brand is pitching itself as heroes. Like if you go down to the supermarket, it's like you have Gandhi and Mother Teresa. And, you know, I think the thing about a hero is that that's an exceptional characteristic. You know, for all heroes, it's sort of, you know, can't, can't all be part of the Avengers team. 
And, and so some of this whole idea that I, I obviously were a big um, supporter for in my first book, I'm suddenly seeing the shift that, you know, people aren't just buying your values or your beliefs or your actions, but it's much more about who you can, in fact, help people become. So in the new book, The Hero Trap, I really try to spark a new conversation around what I call transformative brands. So brands that take a fundamentally different look at leadership that doesn't ask the sort of navel-gazing, why do we exist? You know, by my values, I believe in this and that, but instead say, hey, Ed, what are your dreams? What are your values? And how can we help you uh, achieve those? Because if you look, I mean, if you, if you listen to a lot of the, 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 the talk around purpose, even if you take Patagonia's, you know, we're, we're in the business to save our home planet. I mean, that, that does sound pretty megalomanic and, and crazy. And yeah, maybe Patagonia can get away with it. Maybe. I'm just saying maybe because uh, uh, there are a lot of really interesting uh, challenger brands out there who are much further than Patagonia on their journey. And, and so I think we need to change the narratives and how we build these types of brands. And yes, you can say IKEA could be an example of a brand that try and do this in a different way. I mean, if you look at, um, uh, if, if you look at, and only from a branding perspective, if you look at Gillette, that went from the best a man uh, can get uh, to the best a man can be. And so those conversations, where they fundamentally asked, you know, Ed and Thomas, you know, what are some of the biases that, that you have? <laughs> and maybe it's about time that you face those uh, instead of going out and saying, hey, look at us, we're a super diverse company. Um, so, so I think that's a lot of those brands that excites me at the moment are those brands that sort of take the back seats that are, that are instead of being a preacher, uh, behaves like a coach. And... Um, and especially because, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to point fingers to those types of brands. You know, if, if you're a brand that says, you know, hey, we're here to help you face your biases, you know, then it's, then it's a shared journey. And I think that's essentially also the challenge that we're facing today is that when it comes to a lot of these challenges, whether it's uh, social challenges or environmental challenges, it's not just on brands to solve this. <laughs> it's sort of also rest on us to think about going on that holiday or thinking about how uh, we go to work, think about what we eat, all that stuff. And I think that's an important dialogue to have and to think about uh, when we are now industry shapes brands going forward. And, and so that's why um, uh, I fundamentally believe that, that, that purpose is increasingly becoming more challenged and we are approaching what I would call a post-purpose world where, in fact, it's much more about my values, my beliefs, and what I can do more than it's about some brand just putting on the sort of hero's cape. That's really interesting. You know, I, I, and I think it has huge implications. You know, it, as you said, the type of advertising we might see, the type of marketing we'll see. Um, and what the actions are behind that, you know? So I think that notion of moving from hero to coach. Um, so what does it, what does a, a coach, uh, who, uh, who helps you understand your biases look like, uh, or what do they do? Uh, yeah, yeah, they can do a provocative ad to force you to question that, but is that all they do? Uh, and do they do more? And is it actually... You know what what you're sort of saying is that um we can have a lot more impact in the world if if you get people involved and engaged than just being out there on your own i've always also thought that um it, it it's um it sort of comes up a number of in a number of areas but if you think about advertising agencies when you probably wrote your first book the only reason anyone would do an ad for a non-profit or for something sustainable was to win an award Right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I did something years ago for, called planning for good, which was the, the whole idea was strategists would come together from all around the world and we'd go to the nonprofits and we get briefs and we'd actually work on them themselves. And the, the rule was you couldn't actually, there was no agency behind it. It was a, almost like a UN group that we didn't promote agencies. 
we wanted to get rid of that. The only way agencies will work for a nonprofit is if they can win an award at the end of the day. So I also think of that in corporate terms, like, you know, um, Pepsi and, you know, it pays, it pays for Pepsi and Coke to keep competing against each other. But in this world, it doesn't. You actually want all these companies together, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's another interesting dimension as well around it, it, it shouldn't be Nike versus Adidas versus on or whatever. It's actually what does the whole, what, are, what is every brand in the sports apparel space doing? Because collectively they can have way more impact than even if they're giant corporations, giant corporations working together have way more impact than single entities. So I think that's another dimension that we haven't really thought about as you know suddenly these institutions that were probably used for lobbying purposes like they get together to when they get together the only reason they get together is to lobby governments for for, for reducing legislation you know so they don't get impacted but maybe there's another role um so you could have these two sides one which is again they have this idea of of okay we're going to help consumers on the ground but if we band together and almost create new brands you know that could be very interesting too yeah i think you're absolutely right i think i mean even if you look at you know nils bullying the the inventor behind the the sort of seat belt all of us use today uh, which was invented by volvo back then they actually gave up that patent for every car maker to use and I think we do see the same thing, you know, happening uh, when it comes to sustainability. That you you have um, you have companies that invent an index or a methodology, and also give it up for other companies to use because I think this is where we all win. Um, and and I think that's that's. For me, at least, one of the most exciting opportunities uh, right now that we're faced with, and, and and which is also why you know, if you look at sustainable development goals, number, goal number seventeen, it's in fact around collaboration, and and it also in it, in essence also points to our own industry, where it's maybe about time that we ask ourselves, uh, <laughs> what are the areas where we can collaborate, because we uh, operate in a highly competitive industry highly competitive, uh, pitches after pitches, you know, uh, trying to win awards. I think you, you can't really exist in an advertising agency if you don't have a bit of a competitive mindset. Um, and, and so I think those are healthy questions to ask ourselves. And, um, I do luckily also see that, uh, appear more and more uh, when judging creative work and seeing creative work, uh, you know, coming out. I, I remember for, uh, um, there was this brewery that, um, uh, that uh, launched, launched a new uh, sustainable packaging. And in fact said to every other brewer out there, you know, go, go use it. Uh, because only then uh, we see change at scale. It doesn't matter if we're like a small local brewery that does this, uh, but but you know the real impact comes with the scale. I don't know if you've been following, but the um, the IPA in London has been doing a lot of focus around purpose, and in the last few months, and uh, some real sort of controversial issues. Like they are gonna they are gonna have a purpose award, but they're not gonna. Uh, have it adhere to the same standards that the other categories have to adhere to, which has created quite a lot of controversy uh, with people saying, well, that's inviting entries that don't have the rigor and aren't accountable, um, which is which is interesting. And but at the same time, you go, well, some some of these efforts, it's just very hard to measure. You know, it, it's it's hard to measure the return on investment. I mean, that's what the, these effectiveness awards are a lot about is about the the return on the return on investment and um, not being able to prove that has 
pointed a finger at this as being an, another example of where purpose is not being uh, judged and being accountable. Did you, are you aware of this story? Yeah, and I think I, you know, it's an on, I think it's an ongoing conversation uh, in general, and I think it's something that uh, I myself are quite a big advocate for. In fact, is what what is the real impact behind this stuff? I mean, I want I want to see the I want to see the metrics. I mean, uh, if you claim that you're doing X Y Z, uh, show show it to me, prove it. Um, and I know that, for example, uh, this year I'm the president of the DNA Impact Awards, and and uh, and and there it's 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 a key component. And and obviously we have a lot of conversations around this topic, and it's also difficult sometimes because uh you know you're judging a campaign uh maybe um from 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 starbucks last year a, a, a campaign uh supporting transgender people and the right to choose their own name how do i uh how do i make sure that that delivered on its goals how do i make sure that people in transgender community see this as an outstanding piece of work that might get them to think about some of these things or actually might drive them towards action. So I I think it's it's there was a bit of a flight. This so so this 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 is um this is uh I think this is a healthy conversation to be had, um, and um... it's interesting. It's interesting because um, what you've got—it's almost like the award-winning mentality, which says you get a prize because you did that, and no one else has done it, and no one asks any other questions, so they win a prize. Now it's like, okay, you've done that, but did it work? And that's that's a that's a real call out to creatives and strategists in particular, I think, to say, look, you better be accountable here. It's not it's not it's not going to be effective just because you did the thing that was the right thing to do. It, it has to work and it has to have impact. Otherwise, you know, you know, it's not going to pass. Plus, a lot of time, uh, some of these things take time uh, to, in fact, create an impact. And and obviously we shouldn't forget the big ecosystem of social entrepreneurs, environmental entrepreneurs, people I work with, um, you know, uh, day to day. And and I think you know, take for example in, in DNAD, the way we we dealt with that is we create a category called future impact, which is very much open for some of these entrepreneurial innovative ideas, and what they have to argue for as you do when you do impact investments is this is sort of the impact we see our idea to be having and 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 we really wanted to open up for that sort of thinking as well because you know we really need fresh thinking out there and and especially for everyone who's listening to this conversation here today this is this is where you can uh, make your mark uh you know, bring innovative ideas to the table because it's never been needed more. Uh, uh, and and so whether it's an idea that actually creates impact today or whether it's an idea that creates impact uh, potentially uh, in a year or two, uh, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely worth, uh, you know, it's definitely worth applying your creativity to those topics. And I think that's, I think that's a huge... Um... Uh, thing for for talent that agencies you know um we seem to sort of we're really not good at r d really good at research and development really not good at innovation and you see the talent going to places where they can have ideas and they can be part of an innovative culture and it seems like maybe that's where agencies get together that's where maybe the holding companies get together and get their talent and and offer them the chance to to be uh, incubate, an incubator. I mean, I've just been, I've been talking uh, last week, I'm talking tomorrow uh, to a guy in France who's uh, came out of a consultancy 
and um, create a, a basically a, an innovation lab that just got bought by Frog. And um, a big part of the the sell there is to offer the opportunity for members of his team to join if the company gets formed as a result of this laboratory, then they join it. So the talent has this sort of incentive that they could have a, an exit to a, to that innovation that they worked on. And, um, you know, we haven't really, we haven't really been thoughtful enough in, in the ad industry about, uh, we champion, we talk about ideas, but I think when it comes to commercial ideas, uh, and business ideas, we really kind of lag behind. Um, it's, it's just not, it's not something that agencies are very capable of doing. Um, and I, I don't say that they don't have also, to also, 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 because it's a, it's a different, it's a, it's a different mindset. I mean, for me, it's the difference between being a creative and entrepreneur. Uh, the creative is really good at coming up with ideas. The entrepreneur is often very good at, or quite good at coming up with ideas, but they're also very good at making those ideas happen. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the big difference that, you know, we're not used to have to work three years on making a project happen. You know, we work in, we're working much shorter cycles and a lot of creators may, might not even like that. They like the idea process, but they don't like the hard work afterwards. And that's also why, you know, being an entrepreneur is so tough. And, and, and we see a lot of entrepreneurs give up halfway because it's a marathon. It's tough work, uh, demands a lot of sacrifice. And, uh, and, and if, if the industry uh, fundamentally want to engage uh, in this field, it, it definitely also, again, demands uh, a certain type of, of uh, individual. Um, it's a very interesting, might... yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's true. There's a very interesting model in an agency called Anomaly, uh, created a cannabis brand. But the way they did it was by offering their skill set, which is in, in the ideation and the naming and the packaging and the creativity, but aligning with others, right? So it was an alliance. They had the finance people. Uh, they had a more entrepreneurial types. Uh, so the alliance, they, they, it wasn't just them on their own. They, the, the alliance was what drove this. It's a very, very successful business. That came out of an came out of an alliance that an ad agency created, so it's just kind of like a, a, a there is a model of doing it that kind of um, alleviates a lot of the problems that you you talked about, and uh, so I think it's a, it's about having creative thinking about how you do these things um, to, to to try and change the model, and I, I do, and I do think if we want to be credible as, a, as, as the ideas business, this is, what, this is what people will be looking at in the future more, more than an ad campaign. It's like, what, what else have you done that is tangible? You're pointing towards something important that we talked about again before, which was uh, obviously the, the power of collaboration. And uh, there's no doubt about it that the skill set that uh, we as advertising people have in terms of building brands, of understanding uh, the role that that brand is playing uh, in people's lives, etc., and obviously telling those stories in a compelling way, uh, pivotal to business success, uh, pivotal to even early stage entrepreneurial ideas. Uh, uh, their success is, 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 is down to that in, in many aspects. And so thinking about those new models are obviously super, super important. But also think that what, what I'm really fascinated about is that we're at a time where it's never been easier to set up your own business, to set up your own ad agency, to do what the heck you want. And I think this is a really good calling card for anybody in this industry. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're not happy with status quo, you know, uh, go do your own stuff. If you're not happy about the big uh, advertising networks, go do your own one. If you have a bad idea to how this is being done, it's possible. And so I really think it's probably one of the most exciting times ever uh, to live in advertising also because we can, in fact, combine commercial success with the betterment of the planet. 
and 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 what an ideal working title uh, to put in a business card as a creative. When I worked in the business, it was just about selling shit, to be honest. And and now all those young folks and everybody in the industry have this ability to uh, create uh, and make amazing dreams possible. And and that that excites me. Uh, and I, I think also for me, it's one big encouragement uh, to people in the ad industry to just stop complaining about where the fuck advertising is heading and uh, we should be doing more of that stuff. And, you know, if you're not happy, do it. That's, <laughs> you know. Because oh, do you know, know David? If, Hyatt, did you know David Hyatt? David Hyatt? No, no. Oh, maybe I do. So, so uh, yeah. Was, um, he, he was a copywriter at Wyden and Kennedy in London. He got disillusioned. I think he was a very a, a pioneering thinker around uh, yeah. sustainability, uh, and then started. He said, "You're not going to make any change unless I create my own company." He happened to create a yeah. very successful company that he sold um, to Timberland, and then he set up. Uh, he bought, Pepe had made jeans in South Wales where he lives, and then they made everyone redundant because they pulled out and started making their, their jeans overseas. And he went, Oh, yes, 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 yes. I've, I've actually, I've actually had a conversation with David. So yes, embarrassing. Yes. You just yeah. had to. Yeah. Um, I mean, he does, his whole thing now is, a, is the do the do concept, which is exactly what you're saying. He's created a brand around getting people to get off their asses and stop complaining and actually do something. Uh, so they have conferences, they have books. It's very interesting what he's been up to. And it's definitely, it's definitely that mindset that, that, uh, that's, that's, that's really, really needed right now because you know, else you might as well just go work in a bank. Right. I mean, that's true. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of your advice, you know, for young creatives out there. Um, if you're not seeing if you're not seeing the change or you're not seeing what you want to see, it's never been easier to do your own thing. So, um, you know, that's that's and and then for agencies themselves, that's the threat. The, the threat to your talent is that these people don't have to go work for you. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Exactly. Be, be, be curious, be rebellious. And if you're not happy with status quo, just go change it. That's, uh, that's gotta be the mantra of today. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much. That was a great conversation. Appreciate your time. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.